0: The Messiantics Podcast, a podcast about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us for another episode as we dive into a little bit further this conversation on... Uh, the fellowship model versus a, uh, maybe a more, um, organized, uh, structural concept like a denomination or something along those lines. And I, I don't know, maybe even the word versus in the middle, there's not the right way to look at it. Uh, you know, the, maybe some sort of a hybrid of the two or something's a route to go. I don't know. Um, but nonetheless, as we continue this conversation, we wanted to dive into a few other issues that are very, uh, pertinent to this conversation. And one of those is, especially for me, and I know both Rabbi Eric and I have, uh, uh assistant rabbis, Rabbi Toby, Rabbi Jonathan, our our assistant rabbis at our congregations um, and have been phenomenal tools and and resources for us and and filled uh filled in as a tremendous blessing in our community um and so as a person who grew up in messianic judaism myself uh but also someone who has very literally kind of climbed the rung i guess you could say um in leadership training and and working under different congregations and all is one of the things i really thought uh would be a valuable conversation is the idea of raising up new leaders getting them plugged in to different congregations and avenues of ministry for experience and things like that um And one of the things I I was thinking about as we were... Kind of tossing this idea around is, you know, one of the things we've seen in the Messianic movement, I think it's in the body as a whole, like we see it all the time. I'm not picking on Messianic Judaism per se, but one of the things that I think we see in Messianic Judaism is kind of this um, territorial attitude, but also this, uh, you know, these are my people. This is my, you know, uh, a young person in my congregation has been with me for, you know, eight, 10, 15 years. Like this is my talent, my person. I've invested all of this and I want them in my congregation. And, um, Uh, And sometimes we may not even have an idea that we're thinking that way, but we don't want to lose anybody. We don't, you know, we're we're afraid of sheep stealing and whatever. Um, And we end up wasting the calling that people have in their life. And I've watched a lot of people in my age range and my generation growing up in the movement who felt like they had a calling uh, towards something more. They were maybe in youth ministry and felt like they were supposed to be a rabbi or what have you. And because the congregation they were in didn't have a place for them to serve in a role to get experience and training um they just kind of were left to the wayside and and ultimately have kind of faded away from messianic judaism from it and so i think it's uh this conversation on raising up leaders and and giving avenues and opportunity for training and uh and experience is a very valuable thing i know one of the things that i've personally benefited from a lot myself is that I have worked under uh, rabbis in five uh, five different states and uh, in uh, you know multiple different congregations under five different rabbis six different rabbis something like that um, before starting our congregation so I've seen a lot of what to do what not to do a lot of what works a lot of what doesn't work in different environments or different regions and areas of the country and and what have you. And so uh, uh, I think it's a valuable conversation to have as to how to um, better uh, strategize within Messianic Judaism as organizations on how we can better facilitate
1: raising up new leaders. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, I think would be helpful, and again, we're dealing with the fellowship verses or or. The differences and the pluses and minuses between a fellowship organization or a denomination is that in a denomination, there is a more structured mechanism for uh, raising up leaders. And and uh, it crosses congregations and communities and states and regions in that process. So uh, for instance, if you're from the average congregation in the United States, regardless of denomination, structure, whatever faith it is, uh, most congregations have less than 50 people in them. And so if you have a congregation that only, that has 50 people in it, the chances of raising up someone from within your congregation from that pool is much slimmer. And so sometimes out of necessity, we use people without a calling because there's a spot to fill where if you look at things as uh, in our region, uh, and I'm just talking the Gulf Coast region, not the entire southeast region, there's six congregations. Uh, that all fellowship together. And so now the pool for called people gets a little deeper, a little wider, a little broader in in looking for. And then when you go beyond just looking there to, I know that uh, Rabbi David is attending um, the King's University in Messianic Jewish Studies. And so there's a group of people that are there at the university who are there because they feel a calling or at least... Uh, I believe they have a calling toward ministry. So there's a pool, not just a pool of people that attend a congregation, but now you have a pool that actually has a calling to reach out to 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 use. Where if if you were in like the Assembly of God or, or Baptist Southern Baptist, whatever, where they have these colleges, they actively go and. Um, what do they Recruit. Call it? Recruit for people to serve in these schools so that they can get people that have a calling and expressed a desire and and so on to do that. And so when I look around – And they provide perks like the college that I went to for undergrad was a, a school ran
0: by a specific denomination. And if you uh, – after graduating, if you uh, went into their ordination process – and you got fully ordained with them, then they went back and paid off your tuition, your your student loans or whatever, and
1: uh, potentially could pay for your grad school or what have you, but they would pay off your education. Right, and and if I look just around the southeast region of the United States, the, the organizations that we fellowship with, both the union and the IMCS, very few of the congregations have a secession plan a a what happens next plan uh and and many of the rabbis are 60s 70s some 80s that are leading these congregations that don't have set in place what happens when i'm no longer able to do this uh and so having a more structured uh program would allow for this recruiting this uh the, the pool becomes larger instead of smaller narrower it becomes more kingdom-minded instead of my congregation minded all of those things
2: um I, I think um, it's important for um it, it's got to be more when when you're talking about raising up leader, leaders within congregations and I know every congregation's different you know I don't want to like make this like a blanket criticism because I do think there are some congregations that just don't have that resource at this time you know but in my experience, um, if if a leader of a congregation is truly looking for support and a, a plan to raise up, an, an, like if a rabbi is looking for a plan to raise up an assistant rabbi, or um, just some kind of plan of succession, not, w- w- whether it's an older rabbi that wants a plan of succession or, a, you know, David is young. I mean, he's younger than me, actually, by a couple of years, I think, you know, and David was looking for... Support and you know to enhance his uh, the the ministry that God had given him, and also David. And you know David always talks about I. You know nobody wants it to be a one man show. I think nobody in the right mind does, but I think there are people that do enjoy that. But what I'm saying is, like I know somebody who goes to a congregation, and their response to at least, you know, an assistant rabbi type idea was, well, we have a team of like five guys that speak once a month. I'm like, okay, so you have a team of five guys that speak, but the difference between a team of five guys or a group of guys that speak so the rabbi can do whatever, you know, have a break is the congregation is not visibly seeing an empowerment of an individual, um, whether it's by the laying on of hands or, you know, the difference is, is like, and this is still very difficult for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like at our congregation at CMC, and this is Rabbi Toby, by the way, I know I've been talking a few minutes, but I still have a hard time being called rabbi. I mean, I still have like a difficult, that's still surreal to me and weird. And people come up to me. But the reason why people call me rabbi and stuff is because David has conferred through the Lord, a level of authority to me. And if the congregation doesn't witness that, they're not going to see a person that speaks up there like they have any level of authority. So it's still just going to be like, well, the rabbi's out of town, you know?
3: Yeah. Oh, it's just Fred or right. Jake or whatever, you know? Just you know. And and
2: now the senior rabbi might look at it as like, oh, see, I'm giving up my, I'm giving up the pulpit, I'm giving up the bema, right? Sure. But I'm yeah. like, yeah, but you're not really empowering that individual, and in the congregation is not looking at that person like they have any measure of authority. So if something does happen to you, or if God comes in and says, hey, I want you to go here, yeah. How are how is the congregation used to be used to seeing a like Moses with anointed? John. Yeah. Like Moses anointed. Yeshua sent them out two by two. Yeah. With
3: the power of the Spirit. When right? Moses with Joshua. Like we watch like Moses and Joshua, like that is right. the that is mm-hmm. discipleship. That is where we get like the founding idea. Like and like all of Israel knew Joshua was in charge. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know? He had been a part. And yeah. I just I just want to say you know, I hope I'm contributing to the conversation by saying there has to be a formal and deliberate—I'm not talking about a ceremony. I'm saying there has to be a deliberate—the congregation has to see the senior leader confer authority to called men and women.
3: Yeah. You it, know?
1: It's it's a real thing and, and that we can quantify, actually, when we look at it. For instance, at our synagogue, whenever— before Jonathan came, before Rabbi Jonathan became the assistant, if I wasn't there and one of the elders was speaking or someone was speaking, it was not unheard of for people to actually just get up and leave.
2: Right, I've seen that,
1: and too. or for them not to come if they knew I wasn't going to be there. We used to we I, I would uh, I would not announce when right. I wasn't going to be so like. Uh, my team
0: would know. Hey, next week I'm not going to be here, and so and so speaking. But we wouldn't announce it to the congregation because right.
1: same thing. Like the 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 cats away, the mice will play. Like they just wouldn't show up. Right. And mm-hmm. and so, but now since this event, since the conferring of that authority, since uh, raising Jonathan publicly and saying this is my assistant rabbi, and this is Rabbi Jonathan, and his wife is Robinson Catherine, and and they've been conferred this position. Now, if I'm not there for a week, we basically have the same attendance. Uh, right. uh, beca- but you're right. It makes a difference in the mindset of the people yeah. in that authority.
2: It's the responsibility of a senior leader to not allow their congregation to fall into the dangerous place of, of- – of centering and gathering around a cult of personality. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, this ties into our last conversation on proactive reactive ministry. Um, And, you know, you guys uh, were both talking about how, you know, there are congregations that, you know, maybe they don't have the size and they don't have the ability and they don't have um, rabbi Eric. You brought up the idea that there are a lot of, which we've talked about in past episodes, that there are a lot of congregations that don't have a succession plan or what are you going to do? And, you know, the, the fact that, The fact that in having a conversation in Messianic Judaism about intentionally raising up new leaders and sowing into their calling, their gifts, their talents, so that they can be productive in their calling, the fact that we have to tie that to a succession plan— like and, and when I bring this conversation up about raising new leaders, like I'm not talking about specifically about raising up leaders under me to take over my congregation if God calls me out or I die right. or whatever. I mean that's a, a part of it. Like that needs to be a part of the van the the, the, the the uh proactive vision being looking forward. But like at the same time, it also needs to be a part of people in our country if i if i got 50 60 people if, if i've only got 40 people in my congregation there's somebody else there that has a call in their life for congregational ministry that even if i can't afford to give them a salaried role I can't afford not to sow into them towards that calling because you know what? Mm -hmm. That could be an investment in the rest of the kingdom. That may not be somebody that stays long-term with me, but that I can build up and send out, oh, you know what? I got an email. I get emails on a regular basis. Rabbi Eric, you get the same things. Emails on a regular basis. Such and such a congregation is looking for uh, uh, an associate rabbi or a new senior leader or looking for this or that. Well, you know, if, if we actually had an intentional network uh, to train up leaders to sew into leaders to build them up give them experience and time in a pulpit and so on. Uh, We also in that would have the network that when you you wouldn't have to send a blast out to every congregation, you send an email out to one specific department in that organization and that department goes, here's five names that would work really well in your area that are are well-trained and ready to go. Here are five names and here's another 10 that aren't quite there yet, but if you're willing to invest another two or three years, they will be there.
1: Right. And the other side of that, that that we spoke briefly about before is that congregations if you have an org- a structured organization then you can have funding for so yeah there's a congregation that has 40 or 50 people so they may not be able to afford to give a salary to somebody yeah. to be the assistant rabbi but if you have 150 congregations that are all networked together you can raise the money to be able yeah. to give to support those people even if it's not a full salary at least something giving them so that they know that they're valued in the greater community so this can happen and if you give legitimate opportunity for experience and training a legitimate
0: value to who that individual is and their calling um you don't actually have to worry i know a lot of rabbis have this fear well if i rate and 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 the fear is valid because it's happened like i don't want to say it doesn't or hasn't happened, but this this fear if I bring an assistant or an associate rabbi in, are they gonna split my congregation? Are they gonna try to push me out? Are they gonna, you know, right. coerce a coup, are they gonna well if if, if we are actually investing as an organization, but also locally as an individual congregation and that we don't have to fear so much about that. If you're giving them legitimate experience, legitimate time, legitimate training, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, I, I really respect Rabbi Toby for, um, and I was in this place and and would have been fine staying there too, if it had been what, what God had had for me. But, uh, when Rabbi Toby had his ordination interview with the IMCS, one of the questions that he was asked is, um, you know, uh, a lot of guys that are coming in as assistants or associates or whatever, like they're just looking at it as a stepping stone. They want to to be the, the head guy, the senior guy. He goes, if if it's God's will that you're kind of just stuck as the number two man under Rabbi David for years to come, are you going to be okay with that? And Toby's answer was, I didn't want to do what I'm doing now this was a god thing like i right. if this is all god's got for me i'm perfectly happy and comfortable serving god in this place yeah. in this way forever um, and, and and I think if we're actually intentionally raising people up, yeah. you'll get a lot more attitude like that. I'm yeah. perfectly comfortable being number two. I would have been David Rosenberg's number four forever and would have been perfectly happy with right. that. Like right. I loved serving under David Rosenberg uh, and right. still and, consider him my rabbi.
1: And, and I think and, – and Jonathan and Toby will have to answer better than this because they're actually in that position and I'm not. But, uh, but if we – if we make the assistant rabbi position only this the waiting zone the the batter what do they call it in baseball the, the on uh, the, deck yeah the yeah, on yeah. deck spot <laughs> for when the rabbi leaves yeah. or dies then the their value is only in taking over yeah. right but if we make an assistant rabbi being what what. Toby said, "Rabbi David didn't come in, so this is a succession plan, but a growth plan. Right? This is this is a position we need so that we can expand our base, not congregationally so much, although that's the result of it. But ministry wise, there's more can be done. There's more access. There's more availability. Those things. If if we can change the mindset in Messianic Judaism, to where." Uh, An assistant rabbi or even multiple assistant rabbis are part of a structure of congregation and not just, I'm putting this in place so that when I croak, um, my sheep aren't left without a shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. and it works in the church world. I mean, you look
0: at mega churches that have, you know... 30 pastors. Yeah, no, 30 that's pastors. True.
3: <laughs> but like
0: they, oh, all, have, they all have a distinct purpose. They all have a role that they're playing, yeah. and they're all comfortable in that role. Now, I'm not saying having 30... Like, one of the things for me in that environment is, is <laughs> I always I always say if my flock has to go through, you know, 15, 20 shepherds before they finally get to the shepherd... Right. Like, then they don't have a relationship with their shepherd, and they can't know the shepherd's voice. Yeah. like as... I have a sorry. I have a question, and and I want you guys to feed into what, what he was just talking sure. about, and and to uh, to play off of this too. But I have a question because this is something that both of our congregations have experienced within the last couple of years, um, and something you've talked about before, Rabbi Eric, that uh, every new person you've added to the staff uh, basically amplify the potential for growth of the congregation. And I'm not talking numerical growth as the only categorical quantifier i'm talking numerical growth spiritual growth et cetera, in the congregation um bringing in an assistant rabbi and establishing that assistant rabbi um what uh, and, and i can speak to this rabbi toby can speak to this in our congregation what have you guys seen in terms of the the kind of roi on the return of investment on bringing in that assistant rabbi and establishing that role
1: I'm going to answer briefly, and then if you'll go ahead and speak to the whole thing, but I can tell you at our congregation, since we brought Rabbi Jonathan in, we've doubled in size. Uh, in, and not just in in numbers, but in what we 're doing, what our activities, the different ministries, the outreach the the things going on, yeah. so the the numerical and the ROI of bringing him in was significant in our congregation so uh, go ahead and, and and give a whole scoop though
3: yeah I think I mean well because I think the reason it doubles is because it doubles the ability for a teacher to be involved in the lives of the congregation. You know, so, the, like, for example, like, we've all been to churches where you know you're not talking to the pastor after service. Like, there's yeah, they like, no, there's behind just, the wall. There's no way you're getting to say, hey, thank you for a great message. Like, there's just absolute, like, even if you wrote a review and, like, dropped a review packet in the box, mm-hmm. like, the odds of that pastor seeing your handwritten note are probably slim to none. Yeah. But, you know, when you have the... Ability to, you know, go and sit at Oneg. For example, like, I don't even get to talk. We have enough people now where I don't even get to talk to everyone mm-hmm. on Shabbat. I try, but I don't get to interact with... Because sometimes I get caught up in conversations, so I don't get to interact with everyone. But, you know, I, so I think, you know, that's one thing, is people feel like they have a connection to the leadership of the congregation. They, have, they feel like they are connecting with the people who are you know teaching from scripture and you know, leading bible studies and torah studies during the week so it's not just you know there's not just one person up on stage they're actually able to have you know connections with people who are who they know are praying for them who they know are you know preparing teachings to be able to help them in their walk with hashem and in their walk with their neighbors and their families it's it's not just a uh, once a a one-off thing, because if it's a one-off thing, yeah, it's real. It's real easy to 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 not participate in that, and to not you know to walk away from that. It's you know it's, it's why there's so many congregations that you know when it's just one leader overstraining themselves. um Yeah, I mean you're you're going to you, people people do walk away people people do leave people mm-hmm. if they're still in that camp of I'm on church on Sunday Shabbat on on Saturday. They're possibly, you know, they may stop coming to services as regularly on Shabbat, but start going more on Sunday and just maybe staying at home with their family on Shabbat because they know they're not making those connections. Um, We're able to do more. I mean, because, you know, Thursday, Torah study got COVID killed that for a while. But, you know, that's way out of your way to go over to Pace to do Thursday Torah study. But now that, because I go home that way every day, it's like super easy. And even if I wasn't going home that way with, you know, many hands make light work. And so it's much easier for us to do more studies during the week. And that way more people are reached, more people are engaging with uh, the community. And even if they're not there every time, all the time, the option is still there. Whereas if you or you, it was just, you know, Rabbi David or just Rabbi Eric, like, you're one person. You know right. you can't you can't do as much uh, by yourself. So,
1: so I'm going to ask both of you to go back to uh, earlier part of the conversation. Uh, how were you received as uh, assistant, and um, what the perception of the idea that you're an addition, not a replacement mm-hmm. uh, concept with with all of that? So. Uh, whichever one of you, uh, Rabbi Toby, or Rabbi Jonathan, want uh, to. But and the reason I'm bringing this is because I think that the the more structured type organization allows better for feeding into this concept.
2: Um, I was received. It was really overwhelming um, how well I was received because and David and I had a lot. Rabbi David and I had a lot of those conversations about you know. Uh, uh, my wife and I, Brooke. I mean, we had known David for years before we came here. Before we even knew we were even coming here, they were our clo- they were two of our closest friends. But once we knew what God was doing, um, we were visiting. You know, about once a month because we lived in Georgia. Yeah, but um, still, just coming and visiting and stuff. But and David had been sharing with the congregation about what what was happening. But still, even even with the rabbi sharing. You know, hey, we're going to bring this people in. It, the rubber doesn't meet the road until we get there. And I was really nervous about taking on some things. And that's another thing. And that's, an, that's probably for another episode about putting these things into application. Because David uh, set up a process for me and Brooke to enter in gradually even after we moved here. Um, and that really helped us. But I was overwhelmed. But you see, you can't really quantify this and you can't manufacture it. You can only train leaders to do what like David has done or what Rabbi Eric has done and that's for their congregation to receive an open arms or an assistant rabbi someone that you're going to call me rabbi and you're going to listen to what God has to say by his grace through me from the Bema, and you're going to listen to me and you're going to sit uh, again by God's grace yeah. i'm just saying it's because of how David never made because I hate to say this one of the pitfalls of leadership is you make everything about you and and you go from being a channel of God's spirit and a channel of god's authority at times to lording that over which students in scripture warns about like don't lord your authority yeah but but it, and that's that connects with what I said earlier about a cult of personality yeah you know if a congregation and what I mean guys if you're listening what's a cult of personality it means when a place a congregation church synagogue, it is that leader. Yeah. It is the, everything is centered around my, you know, that pastor. That pa- everything is about what they yeah. do.
3: If that leader goes away, it's you know, over.
2: Yeah, everything is about you know, right. Our pastor, our rabbi, right. And and that is a very very dangerous place to be. And only the leader can make it not about themselves. That is our first responsibility. And one of the sayings I always have to other leaders and to people who are coming up in leadership is that it's not how you use your authority. It's how you don't. Yeah. That I truly believe, as I said, I think that's one of the things that that makes a leader a leader. It's not. It's not what you can do. It's it's how you. It's almost how you don't do it. Yeah. And look at Yeshua, how he didn't use his agency, how yeah. he didn't use his authority when he came the first time. But so I think meek, how I was received and my wife was received, speaks to how David led a congregation for ten years before we came. And never made it about himself. Never. Always said I must decrease. Yeah. Even as the senior leader of a place, this is about the Lord. You know. So that's that's my experience, yeah. and it still is my experience. And I, I and I respect David for that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I was received really well. I mean, I was kind. Of, it was like it was a little of both. Like I had, I was received very well. I mean, I did have. So there were some people who were kind of standoffish that have warmed up to me very nicely over the past. I've been here two and a half years now and there's so like there's like the people who were kind of standoffish to me in the beginning have really warmed up to me now and i actually mm-hmm. like have good conversations with them. but like you can tell when like some people are like i don't know like who's this young you <laughs> right know, you always thing right? you know coming in here and i get that too but yeah, yeah yeah um and i and i was i mean i was 24 when i came here i think um 25 something like that mm-hmm. so you know very very young but uh yeah, I was received very well, and it did help that, you know, it was a big, like, I mean, and I, I was called up publicly, Rabbi Eric, uh, Pammy, um, which is Rabbi Eric's wife, Rebetson and Pammy, and the elders, you know, that were there that uh, Shabbat uh, came up, laid hands on me and prayed over me to, you know, take up that role that I was being brought into, called into, and then, uh, you know, off we went. And, you know, I mean, I started... Kind of feet to the fire. It was. It was like. Well, it was. Oh my gosh, it was crazy. Like because I came down right after Sally. Like the street lights weren't even working when I came down here. The the traffic lights. It was like you came to the you know Davis and Olive Road, which is a massive intersection, and it was like you know four way giant four way stop for forever. But uh, I came and I, we did because here we do two services for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then. Uh, just those two. The Sukkot, we just do the one.
1: But uh, yeah, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, two services yeah, each. Yeah, so we and came them.
3: and it was like you know I was speaking at you know Rosh Hashanah, and then of course like right after Rosh Hashanah was over, <laughs> we were out clearing logs and trees in people's yards <laughs> for the congregation, and then I actually brought my chainsaw down with me from where I had been living previously. Um, yeah. So it was like so I was received very well, and you know, um, and I was I was allowed to do things like incrementally, like so. You know, it was. I was speaking. You know, I think every other month or something. Um, now Rosh Hashanah, I, I spoke Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur two different times, and then.
1: Right, but there's. I'm. I know. I'm interrupting, but I'm, no. It's an important point. Um, the reason he spoke at both of those holy days is that in traditional Judaism, those are like the the. Uh, the Super Bowl. Yeah.
3: This is, <laughs>
1: yeah. you know, this is the the one that everybody comes to. That if people are going to come, they're going to come to that. Yeah. And I wanted; it was a purposeful thing to yeah. say. This is the assistant rabbi. Yeah. He's getting to speak at these right. big – it's not he only gets to speak when I'm not yeah. here or yeah. he only gets sure. to speak. Yeah.
3: But he's here now and he's, he's working. Right, you know. He's
1: here and he's part of – this is a full immersion yeah. thing. So while he wasn't given all of the obligations uh-huh. regularly to where he spoke every week or every month, uh-huh. yeah. he, he was given these purposely to say – Again, this is a Joshua thing. This was yeah.
2: He's got this role. I, I Rabbi Eric brought up a great point that I didn't even think about. That I feel if the senior rabbi should be there when other people, especially the someone they're raising up as an assistant. Yeah. If the if the if the senior rabbi is never there, it's going to be what Eric said, which is, oh, well, this is just coming in, so he can go do that. Yeah, yeah. Being just David's presence in the synagogue when I'm up says so much to the congregation and that has been i think vital to again why i've been received so well i'm just glad rabbi eric brought that up yeah and
3: for a little while when i was when i was speaking at first especially like that little chair that's up there that joe sits in and plays bass on you would just like plop in that little seat behind me then i'd be so i'd be speaking but you'd be sitting up there on the stage but uh and then over time like you know it was like actually my first tuesday night uh which is our bible study night here at the synagogue was like uh, was kind of an emergency, like you were teaching something, but then got stuck somewhere. Someone was in a car accident or something, and then you were like, "Hey, are you ready? Can you do a Tuesday night?" And I, was, I, was like, I was like, "I got something I can do. I got a hip pocket, you know, tra- training I can do real quick." And so I uh, and so started doing Tuesday nights, and ever since then we've just been kind of off and on, but incrementally. But I was, it was always purposeful. I was purposefully, you know, put up to do things like, "Hey, you're going to do this. You're going to speak." Mm-hmm here on this um and so it was yeah i mean, i was received well and even those who may have been kind of i'm not so sure about this guy like right. right but it was
1: a purposeful thing to not make rabbi jonathan seem like the second string
3: yeah right or
1: the backup yeah but that he was put into places on high holidays on special days yeah. on things so that people wouldn't see him as yeah well you know He's the fallback guy, yeah.
3: Not the Beau Rivage strategy, right? Just
2: the- because if you are pouring into the right person who's called, um, and, and they're truly called, you know, as I know, Jonathan and myself were um, submission to authority. Uh, you know, is is something that that should already have been seen, yeah. You know, before you bring that person in, because of course I do submit. I mean, he's David's also he's my rabbi too, just like the rest of the congregation. Yeah, you know, so. And, and and that's just that's an unspoken thing, but you know it's important to talk about that yeah. I submit to his authority, and if he tells me to do something, and that's another part of it. I mean, David. I mean, we have moments where David's like, "Hey, you were doing this. This is something you need to think about not doing." Yeah,
3: I'm like, "Okay, you got it." You know? Yeah. And there's there's, there's a lot of people that you know don't focus on that, and because I, I have I I have had people I've talked to friends and who you know they're they're thing is like, well, I'm going to be under this leader unless they disagree with me about this. And then like, you know, I can't imagine
2: that you're not then ready for it. Then.
3: Well, that's all I was telling them. I'm like, then you have not learned what submission is yet. You, no. you have failed that lesson so far. Right.
1: And um, one of the things that I think is, is in this connecting and, and understanding is that having a more structured organization not only provides for a mechanism to feed, uh, Assistants and, and others into congregational development plans, but it also provides a mechanism for reversing that process. In other words, if you bring somebody up and they aren't working and they aren't doing, it, sometimes if you're just there by yourself, you look and you say, This is all I've got. Uh, you know, I can't get rid of them because if I get rid of them, I don't have anything and yeah. it's going to cause. Where if you have A a structure set up where you have people to turn to that can come in and and mediate, that can come in and try to help, or that can help to remove somebody where it isn't an explosion and and a a splitting of congregations.
3: And there might, there might, could even be a process, kind of like we've talked about before, with having high school or college students, you know, Mm -hmm. rotate through, having it to where, like, okay you know, these young leaders are able to kinda of like you did, David, where you actually spent several years going to different congregations and working under different rabbis intentionally. And that's I think that would be good too. That way there's no um you know, it's sort of like and we've kind of talked about this a little bit, you know, what we there was a, a talk brought up at the rabbi's conference this past year where someone used a slogan. Um, I, I'm, it was the... Uh,
0: the army slogan. It, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's also the Air Forces, yeah. which is mission first people yeah. always. And so they they were kind of were talking about yeah. that. And I found, I, I was talking to David afterwards, I found it humorous that, you know, we will use the military slogan, but we won't actually look at some of the models the military presents yeah. with leadership. And one of those is you rotate leadership, especially junior Leadership, like a junior officer, uh, second lieutenant, first lieutenant, you're gonna go through a, a couple different leadership positions. Um, you might be within the same like large organization, you know, brigade, division level, but you you're probably you'll probably get platoon time. And if you don't get platoon time, you're going to get like you know some kind of specialist option. So, like for example, I had a friend who he wasn't in charge of a platoon, but he was in charge of a forward observer unit. That's just a few guys; it's not quite a platoon size. But then you rotate through. Then you may get a platoon after that, and then after that, maybe you get stuck in an XO position. So now you're not actually in charge of a bunch of men; you're actually more of an administrative. You know, so you're trying different things, and that similar thing with having. junior leaders rotate through different synagogues, different rabbis, every rabbi is going to have a different way of doing things. Um, And I think that kind of actually answers the question we talked about, about, you know, how does, how do places retain uh, some self autonomy, even within a denomination? Mm -hmm. Leaders are just different. Yeah. Voices are different. You know, you're always going to have, a, a, a local, a more local, regional identity because just of who's in charge. Yeah, and so to be able to figure that out and experience and interact with different people, well, by the time you're you know thirty, is going to set you up with a whole toolkit of yeah. different abilities and how to handle certain problems. That had you not done that, you would have been like lost on how to handle. So, <clears throat> a couple of things that I want to want to hit on
0: is. Number one, uh, we said it early in this episode that there is kind of, uh, a, whether it's vocalized or not, there's definitely an underlying fear in a lot of senior leaders that if I raise up or put in, bring in a person as a rabbinic intern or assistant rabbi, associate rabbi and put them in that role, that maybe they'll burn me. Maybe they'll take the place, of the coup, maybe they'll split the congregation, maybe they'll whatever, right? And, right. and, and those... Those those things have happened. Like some of that is legitimate fear from legitimate experience, and I get that. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like um, second guess that or eliminate it or 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 water it down. But what I do want to say is, we can't let those negative experiences, those negative situations, um, keep us from. Actually, moving forward, anyways. Like, and and if you're a a congregational leader who has experienced a split or has experienced a coup or something like that by a uh, an assistant rabbi or or what have you, um, don't let that bad experience or experiences. I know there's one particular rabbi that said, "Oh, I've had this happen to me numerous times," and maybe right. it's time to reevaluate you too. That's, you know, yeah, I'm just going to throw that there. out there. But don't let those negative experiences be something that robs you of 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 doing what you're supposed to. I mean, imagine if you brought up Korah, imagine if Aaron and, and Moses were like, all right, well Karak tried to, you know, steal everything away. Miriam and Aaron tried to steal everything. Well, I'm not going to bother with Joshua. Joshua just going to try to do the same thing. Like, where would we be at? Right. Imagine if Elijah did the same thing with, you know, well, why Elisha. am I going to waste time on Elisha or yeah. Yeshua? Why am I going to waste time on these people, right? Uh,
3: he, he, Peter denied me. You know, yeah, can't, yeah,
2: yeah. Why Go am ahead. I going to waste my but, time? And me? I think scripture, just to add to your point, David, scripture gives us an example of what happens to someone who's afraid of losing their authority, and it's King Saul. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he feared, he yeah. feared David. Yeah, and Saul had his own issues. But what I'm saying is that if you read about Saul, he was afraid of losing the crown. If you look at David and his issues, he was afraid of losing the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. And,
3: Jezebel too. Yeah, like that's a whole like you know people people use that all the time for like you know to talk about maybe women who have stronger voices than they than they care for. But like really, it's actually more the Jezebel spirit's more about losing authority, losing mm-hmm. influence. But yeah, yeah. And, I just thought of
2: that when yeah. you said that about Saul.
3: And so yeah. so I want to encourage you if you're a congregational
0: leader. Like, Don't let those bad experiences or the things you've heard of others' bad experiences rob you or rob others of your opportunity to sow into people's lives, sow into the kingdom. Because it's not my show. It's not Rob Eric's show. It's not you guys. This isn't our kingdoms. This is his kingdom. Um, And then the other thing that I want to throw out there um, uh, uh, along the same um, kind of train of thought is – and I'm going to – so I'm going to say right out the gate as a caveat: these are my thoughts. I'm not speaking for the group. Okay. These are my thoughts, and maybe you guys agree with, maybe maybe you don't, and that's fine. Um, just so nobody else gets washed down the uh, the gully with this one. When is I this go gonna di-
3: is this going to is this going to diverge kind of from what we've been talking? No, about? No, no, no. Okay.
0: So I, I think part of I think. Part of the solution. You know, we keep talking in this series on, you know, fellowship versus more structured denominational kind of a thing. Um, Honestly, I think we actually have a ready made solution in hand if we would just be willing to open our minds up a little bit and see it. Now, in a perfect world, I think it'd be easy to do. It's not a perfect world and neither are perfect organizations, but. I think that the UMJC, the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations, and the IMCS, the International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues, which our congregation is a part of both, um, I, I think both have potential solutions to all of the issues we've discussed thus far in the series. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, for instance, the union is really, really good at intentionally raising up leaders. Um, And and that's a a huge thing that the alliance can learn from. The alliance is really good at a lot of things that the union can learn from uh, and, and so on and so forth. And I think, honestly, my opinion, again, caveat, my opinion, I think the Messianic Jewish movement would be a thousand times better if we stopped having the division between the two and perfect world scenario, they became one organization bringing their unique strengths to the discussion to bolster a better Messianic Jewish congregational or rabbinic organization. And I know there's going to be a lot of IMCS rabbis are going to come back with flack and a lot of union rabbis are going to come back with flack. And I get that. Like I know there's a past. I know there's history. I know there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in the background that most people don't even know about. But the reality is, we've already said it, this isn't a union kingdom and it isn't an alliance kingdom. This isn't a Maimheim Chaim kingdom and a Brit Am kingdom. This is God's yeah. kingdom. I feel like this is a messianic Jewish movement. And, yeah. and almost all of the issues we've discussed in this single episode... On raising up leaders could be solved if both organizations brought what they both uniquely are good at into one big giant organization, one super organization, whatever you want to call it, uh, and and very literally pinky in the brain, this thing it took over the whole world. Like we could do it if we got out of our way. Right, yeah. John seventeen. I've talked about it before on this show. John seventeen. Yeshua says that the world will know that he was sent by God if we are in unity. When they see us in unity. As he and the Father are one, and we're not like I'm not even dealing with the rest of the body right now. Messianic Judaism is broken. It's divided. It's torn apart, and usually over dumb things. Like yes, some are more traditional, and some are less. Some are more charismatic, and some are more this or that or whatever. Those we can have the individuality, like Rabbi Jonathan was bringing up, and and. Um, uh, Michael had asked a, a listener had asked about you know well if, if you have this structured organization how do how do you keep your uniqueness your individual your individuality your autonomy etc I think this is how we we come together and we work as one unit on the areas that we are in agreement on and the things that we aren't in agreement on let's leave autonomy to those congregations you know you want your congregation to be hyper orthodox great go for it but you know what we agree on Yeshua we agree on the Spirit we agree on this we agree on, let's come together in the middle. And, and your congregation has the autonomy to do that, my congregation has the autonomy to do this, let's figure this out. But instead of working against each other or in competition with each other or whatever, like you know, we could do so much more. We yeah, could right. be so much stronger yeah, if we I, just got out of our own way.
1: I tell people that, uh, that Rabbi David is a better rabbi than I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that because he's my son or, or to blow smoke or anything, but I think that because he was exposed to Multiple synagogues in his training and his preparation that he doesn't have the same myopic view of how a synagogue should run or what the structure should be or or how things are done or not done and he's experienced uh, things in his training that I didn't experience. Now I I went through all kinds of things with my congregation. But that's my congregation, and and he's uh, sat under and assisted at numerous rabbis, so he got to watch the strengths and weaknesses, the differences in format and style, all of those things. And if, if the IMCS and the union leaders would see their differences as a strengthening of possibility and, and put their interns through a cycle where they went to different congregations as they were being raised up to see how different people do different things you know it, it frustrates me at times i have people from my congregation that end up having job transfers or or move and and i get an email that says hey i went and visited this congregation but they're nothing like Bridom, or we just don't feel and and like i want to you know, say, yeah, I know they're not, but but that's they're not supposed to be Bridom. They're supposed to be whatever congregation they are. Yeah, right. uh, Find your place there. Find your calling there. Find, if God yeah. moved you there, then there's a purpose for you to be there and learn how to work within that structure. So you'll bring what you have from here to there to strengthen them, and and so there there's that that goes on. Um, and one other thing I wanted to say, and this is flipping just a little bit, so I apologize for that. When you're, if you're a senior leader, and you bring, uh, and you bring someone in as an assistant or as a helper or as a a rabbi within your congregation, be honest with them. Uh, If you like, when we hired Jonathan, we said uh, it's it's our ultimate goal to have somebody who will eventually take over my position but right now all we're looking for is someone that will walk alongside me and 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 teach and share and and shepherd with what's going on so he didn't come into this i've seen over and over rabbis bring people in and say we have a 5 year plan and then on year number 6 the person still hadn't transitioned into anything and and that person then starts thinking well, this is never going to happen, yeah, that's or this is, frustrating. you know, right, and it gets frustrating. And so, be honest if you're looking for somebody because you have a plan to leave in five years, then let that be known. But if all you're doing is looking for someone to walk alongside you, let that be known and be honest about it and up front, yeah. so you're not frustrating that person, and so that that person isn't in their mind formulating what they're going to change and do in this when you know once I get my reins freed once he lets go of the reins and I get to run with it as my thing how is this going to be and so be honest because in in a lot of the cases where I've seen splits happen it was that that caused it it was well, they're never going to do. They, you know, I have a five-year plan. Well, I, I don't feel released yet, so it'll be another three years or another five years or or whatever. Yeah. And just be honest with the person when you're bringing them in, and and they won't have that feeding
3: into it. Yeah, I'm perfectly glad to have you hold the reins on so many things because I'm like, there's so many conversations yeah. that you have with people. That I'm like, <laughs> thank God I don't have to yeah. deal with that. <laughs>
2: and I, I just want to say, you know, the last thing I'm going to say is just if you are a leader of a congregation, I don't care how long you've been leading or how old you are if you say to yourself i don't know what my congregation's going to do if i'm gone then you're you're not in a great place and your congregation's not in a great place that there that that cult of personality is going on yeah and and you know i'm not saying that the senior leader and, and you know sh- should be valued and important i'm just saying that you know god's work continues yeah you know and and i think that if 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 it's like well i just don't know what they'll do if i'm gone i'm like well that's a, that's not healthy
3: you know yeah. so i like the idea of having a liaison um at any school that offers messianic jewish studies uh, especially for when it gets into like the mdiv the masters like there should be someone who is at least even if they don't live there who is definitely like interacting with those students and is like Hey, like, because, you know, there are some people who are getting like, for example, Rabbi David's and his MDiv program for uh, with TKU right now for Messianic Jewish Studies. But there, you know, some people may be there and their entire goal is to bring that back to their church, to a church community, to to either strengthen a bond, a relationship with the Jewish community, um, with, um, you know, Jewish believers who maybe aren't walking in a messianic uh, lifestyle, but just so that there's there's some kind of strength of knowledge and wisdom there. But there are definitely those who are going there, who are there now and are planning to go, whose intention is to uh, bolster up their ability to uh, teach, uh, to preach, to lead um, Messianic congregations. And if you have, like, because odds are at least 50% of the people in those programs are looking to go the Messianic direction, you've probably got a good pool of people who are and so you know, having a liaison there again with the strength of denominational structures, you could have someone whose entire job is to just travel and visit those, um, those schools and to recruit them into your pro, your, like, hey, you want to, you know, spend you know, four years paid after you get your MDiv to because you know, how many people leave school and automatically get paid for what they spent three to four years studying for not many so if you feel a call especially a mini- in ministry especially a ministry <laughs> uh, and you know so if you if you've been you know if you feel that like God has called you given you given you a, a gifting and a strength to be a teacher you know if, that, if that, that's your gifting that's your strength and you go to school to enhance that and you spend three to four years and then you have someone who comes up alongside you and is like hey would you like the opportunity to be discipled you know by several different rabbis in the messianic movement you know would you like to have that wealth of experience, you know, boy, have I got the opportunity for you. And that, because then that way, cause I can tell you, but you know, wait, there's more, <laughs> but wait, cause I can tell you, you know, just from my own school experience that like most students are not thinking that far ahead. Like you're just glad to be graduating when right. you get there. And so you... Uh, you every now and then it's like the top echelon have thought that far ahead. Usually that's like the law students who have already are in firms by the time they're you know so that they they finish their bar and they move on. But having someone who is like, hey, have you thought of X, Y, and Z? That would be helpful, I think.
1: Right, and and so we've discussed at length in this episode the idea of uh, assistants or associates or people that work alongside in a congregation and how having a more structured body would allow for feeding those roles. Uh, Maybe in a future episode or the next episode or whatever we do, we can talk about three other things that deal with the same kind of topic. One is um, people to start new congregations. There's communities all over the the country and the world that don't have other congregations. Uh, Number two is uh, bringing leaders, uh, unaffiliated congregations, that have leaders into the organization so that there's a a broadening of the organization. Uh, And and then number three is talking about a a purposeful internship program, which you just were speaking of, uh, where young people not in college but maybe the year after high school or the year after their first year of college, if they're studying Messianic Judaism, Uh, could have a a functioning uh, period of time to invest in going to different congregations, experiencing different ways of doing it. So so those three things, internships, uh, bringing in unaffiliated leaders to strengthen, and therefore, for instance, Rabbi Jonathan actually came from a congregation that's unaffiliated, but we fellowship with them. And so because they weren't part of the union or the IMCS, if we didn't have intentional relationship, I would have not met Jonathan and he would not be where he is. So bringing in, expanding through healthy, uh, independent or unaffiliated, unaffiliated congregations and, and with the intention of hopefully bringing them into the larger fold and then also uh You know, internships and and that. So I think those are things that having a more structured affiliation uh, would allow. And, again, I totally agree. I haven't heard from the other two. I totally agree with the idea that if we could get the the UMJC and and the IMCS to, in some way, whether they fully merged into one, but at least to come to a place where we feed off of each other's strengths in
3: a more unified way even if you have to grit your teeth I feel like so many people approach that issue with like the I have never been so offended by something I 100% agree with (laughs) just get on board so with that said we're going to uh, go ahead and bring this episode to a wrap Uh, I think with every
0: episode we do in this series we find uh, more episodes that we want to cover so uh, we're going to we're going to tie back into this some more for a little bit longer but uh, we're going to go and bring this to a wrap and we thank you for joining us talk to you later Thank you for listening to the Messiantics Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. And be sure to follow and interact with us on social media
1: at Messiantics Podcast.